As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Athletic. Here we are with another week of ACC news and notes. Uh, Thanks to everybody who's been listening on uh, all the different ways that you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify out there. Uh, Thank you. We're getting a lot more listeners out there. We appreciate it when you guys give us ratings and reviews. Uh, That helps us get the word out, kind of lets us know what we're doing well and what we're not. So keep doing that. Keep listening. uh, Keep rating review. And, you know, if you have a friend that likes the ACC, go just suggest it. You don't have to do it online. You can just call them up. Just tell them, hey, listen to this podcast. Got a little bit of something for everyone. Uh, We're going to do a mailbag today. We got plenty of mailbag questions from you, the readers. So uh, enjoy that kind of feedback. Uh, We'll cover a lot of ground with that. But just to start off, I, I think it was an interesting week in the ACC, and I think you're starting to see some separation between who is a contender and who is a pretender at the top of the conference right now. Obviously, Clemson, and I don't even really know if I'd waste time on Clemson at the top of the conference, although, honestly, Syracuse played them a lot tougher than I thought they would. Uh, if Dino Babers is the coach against Clemson every week, uh, maybe that would be a close game. Perhaps he can just be like an all-time coach for whatever team is going up against uh, Coastal in a given week. Uh, he seems to, to do well against them and then not well against everybody else in the league. But beyond Clemson, Notre Dame, uh, last week on this podcast, I called them overrated uh, at number three. And yes, I do think they were overrated at number three. Number four, though, I think they're just perfect perfectly ranked at number four uh this is coming off a 45 to 3 win against Pitt, where honestly i think the fighting irish answered a lot of questions that people had about them uh, including myself i uh, didn't think that they really had the the passing downfield ability uh could really stretch a field like that you wonder how much uh how many games they could win with just a really strong defense and a, a pretty good running game then ian book goes out and throws for 312 yards and three touchdowns uh, ben Skoronek, uh, Northwestern grad transfer, two catches, 107 yards, two touchdowns. That's a pretty good day. Uh, him coming back from a hamstring injury, all of a sudden maybe there's a, a weapon in that offense uh, that scares you a little bit. Uh, defense was outstanding again. Didn't run much, but nobody really runs much against Pitt, so I, I don't hold that against them. So uh, Notre Dame looking very legit. Obviously uh, play this week against Georgia Tech, and uh, the new game of the, the century in the ACC is going to be Clemson and Notre Dame uh, next week. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully the Irish don't trip up against the Yellow Jackets looking ahead, and that's still the marquee matchup we hope it's going to be. Uh, North Carolina. Nice bounce back win for the Tar Heels, 48-21 over NC State. That That's a rivalry game that can get weird at times. Uh, you know, sometimes just the, the better team does not win that game. And North Carolina coming off a loss against Florida State goes out there and handles its business. Uh, Michael Carter, Javante Williams, 266 yards, rushing and four touchdowns. Uh, that's the kind of response you want to see out of a team like UNC. So, uh, Clemson obviously at the top. I think Notre Dame and North Carolina are separating themselves as the challengers up there. 
In that next tier, maybe Miami, although I think you know, I just have not been impressed by the Hurricanes so far. Uh, 19-14 win against UVA last week. That was not a, a UVA team that had been playing well coming into that game. Uh, I just, I'd probably put the Hurricanes a little bit more towards the middle than in that top tier right now. Uh, have beaten Louisville, Florida State, Pitt, and UVA so far. That's not a, an overly impressive roster of victories. Uh, the schedule's not too challenging coming up, but, you know, they play NC State, Virginia Tech, Wake, UNC, a little bit more challenging than it has been. I think I have to see a little bit more out of Miami there. And then Virginia Tech, the team I cover, uh, Matt Fortuna called it last week on the podcast, said watch out for Wake Forest, and of course... Uh, Wake Forest goes and, and beats the Hokies 23-16 in Winston-Salem. I'm sitting here looking at the roster of games. I'm like, oh, where's the upset coming from? What? And it, the upset was coming from inside the house. I should have known the entire time Matt was trying to tell me. Uh, Virginia Tech just not, did not look good. Two losses already. Has to play Clemson later in the year. I think it's going to be very, very hard for the Hokies to get back into any kind of uh, contention for that second spot in the, the ACC this year to make the title game. So that's sort of the top of the league right now. Uh, I think it's shaping up a little bit the way that everybody thought it would. I think we go into this and we go, oh, who's going to be number three? Who's going to be number two? And then it turns out to be the teams that everybody said. Maybe that's that's kind of boring, but uh, maybe for the ACC this year, not having that kind of craziness at the top of the league will be good, and, and some of these teams could get through with a, with a high ranking to the end. All right, we're going to do a mailbag now. Dip into the mailbag, plenty of questions. My producer, my wonderful producer, I should say, John Hayes, an admitted SEC homer, so don't hold that against him here coming on to our little ACC podcast. He's going to read the questions to me. We'll have a little back and forth, talk about it. Uh, John, fire away with the first question. The first question comes from Chris T., and that is, besides Clemson, which team has the best chance to run the table in the ACC? And he follows up with the question, is Notre Dame for real? I think I do think Notre Dame is for real. Uh, and I've come around on the Irish after one week. After one week calling them overrated, uh, they, they threw it in my face there. I will say the way that this question is phrased, who has the best t- chance to run the table here? Uh, I would not say Notre Dame simply for the fact that they have to play Clemson. Uh, anybody that has to play Clemson, does not have a good chance at running the table. Uh, you look at the rest of that schedule for Notre Dame at Georgia Tech, at BC, at UNC, Syracuse, at Wake Forest. Yeah, I think they could win all those games, but I just don't see anybody beating Clemson right now. UNC, on the other hand, very manageable schedule. Uh, fortunate not to uh, draw Clemson this year, even when they added the couple extra games at UVA this week, at Duke next week. Can't really see either of those being a challenge versus Wake Forest. A little bit more of a challenge because I think Wake is, uh, you know, having seen them in person, I think they're a scrappy team. They're a better team than uh, people have been giving them credit for. Then Notre Dame at home. Uh, So if you're going to get Notre Dame, playing them at home is a big deal. At Miami and then closing with the also difficult Western Carolina in the final week. uh, Yeah, I think UNC could run the table there. I think it's a a very real possibility. I think the fact that they get uh, the, you know, two of the toughest games in their Wake Forest and Notre Dame at home helps. Uh, go to Miami. As I mentioned off the top, I don't know really how good the Hurricanes are. They haven't been overly imposing at home or anything like that lately. Uh, you know, they beat Pitt, but Pitt didn't have its quarterback. They, they get by UVA. You know, UVA, I don't think, played with its starting quarterback last week. I think, I, I can't remember if, if Brendan Armstrong played or not in that game, but, you know, UVA not coming in, hitting on all cylinders in that game. So, uh, and then, you know, just looking at Miami's schedule real quick, at NC State, at Virginia Tech versus Georgia Tech, at Wake Forest versus UNC, I see a couple of landmine possibilities in there uh, with some difficult road games for the Hurricanes. So uh, of those three teams at the top, the best one I think could, could challenge for the – that could run the table there, certainly UNC. But I do think Notre Dame is for real. And, and uh, you know, however that tiebreaker is going to play out uh, at the end of the season will be interesting to watch because UNC has a loss right now. Notre Dame does not. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But of those three, yeah, I'd go with North Carolina as the best chance. What are North Carolina's weaknesses, Andy? I mean, you, you covered a game in which that team gave up a ton of point, points. Is it realistic to think that that North Carolina, Sam Howell, and Mac Brown this year, you know, could potentially, you know, if they do run the table um, – get Clemson in that title game and, and make it a game. That That's the big question. That's, you know, we can discuss, 
these three teams, how good they are. But at the end of the day, that all roads lead to Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Clemson Tigers will be waiting for them. Yeah, well, I don't like anybody's chances against Clemson to begin with. But if North Carolina gets there, they can score with Clemson. Cool. That's for sure. But can they stop Clemson? Uh, I think, and then it's the the flip side with Notre Dame. They they can slow down Clemson a, a little bit. I think I don't know if I, don't know if anybody's ever going to stop them, but can they score with them? Uh, so you know, it's, it's kind of the flip for both of them. But yeah, I think the defense with the Tar Heels is the question. I, you know, I saw them give up forty five to Virginia Tech, and that's a game that was weird. You know, they were up twenty one or something like that at halftime. Uh, things kind of got out of hand there, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think you look at the defensive side for UNC, you go, can they stop people enough? And, you know, after they didn't stop a pretty bad Florida State offense in that first half, how are they going to do it against a team like Clemson? I don't know. But, uh, you know, if, if your biggest problem right now is, oh, how are you going to stop Clemson? You're worrying about things that are a, a pretty good problem to have because if you're playing Clemson, you're in the ACC title game. So figure it out when you get there and, and hope that maybe Clemson has an off day, I guess. Our next question comes from Jonas S. And by the way, if you want to ask Andy a question here in the ACC mailbag on Atlantic and Coastal, you have to be an athletic subscriber. Uh, use the Promo code theathletic.com slash ACC where you can join for $1 a month. And by the way, this is the last week that $1 a month deal exists. So get in the door this week. That way you can ask Andy questions for the remainder of the season. The next one comes from Jonas S. Andy, if Clemson and Notre Dame split games, one wins in Notre Dame Stadium, the next wins at the ACC championship game, how likely is it that both teams make the playoff? which would mean two ACC teams get in. And by the way, two ACC teams fakely get in. Come on, Andy. We can't act like Notre Dame making the playoff as an ACC team getting in, can we? This year counts. They've got the patch on the uniform, and they've got the the paint on the field. They're playing a full ACC schedule. It's counting this year. It's counting this year. Forget forget that. The SEC homer here (laughs) chiming in. We're counting this. Normally, I would say that there's no chance. Uh, I mean, the, the ACC has never had two teams. Uh, the, the setup is just in a way that you're not really going to get two teams unless you're the SEC and, you know, everybody's in the top five or top ten every single year. But this is a weird year. Um, you know, to sort of simplify looking at this, just assume that Bama and Ohio State get to the playoff. So that's two of the spots right there. An ACC champion is probably going to get the other spot if Clemson and Notre Dame continue on the path that they're going. Uh, who would be in line for that fourth spot? Let's look at, at a couple of the conferences right now. The Big 12 right now is just beating up on each other. Oklahoma has two losses already. Uh, Kansas State and Oklahoma State are the only unbeaten teams, I believe, in the conference left. Uh, I don't have much faith in either of those teams continuing on the path that they've gone in. Is Oklahoma State Oklahoma State's next three games are against Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma? Are they going to be unbeaten at that point through those three games? I would guess not. And if you don't have a, a marquee t- name like Oklahoma or Texas, I wonder how much they get into the uh, playoff conversation there. The SEC, uh, Alabama has continued to be king there. Uh, Georgia has already lost to Alabama. Georgia and Florida play this year, so the loser is going to take another loss. Florida lost to Texas A&M already. Uh, so you're talking about two losses possibly there if they lose to Alabama in, in, a, in an SEC title game. Uh, I don't trust Texas A&M to keep this up and, and go unscathed through the rest of the year. And I don't think anybody's going to beat Alabama because you know since Nick Saban has been there, on very few occasions has anybody beaten Alabama. So... If Alabama goes through unbeaten and then the next best team in the SEC has two losses and, you know, say it's Georgia and Georgia has two losses to Alabama, wins everything else, and its best win is Florida, is that really better than Notre Dame if it has a win against Clemson and that only loss is to Clemson? I think if you're just comparing those head-to-head, Notre Dame is a a better option in that situation. Uh, You know, Big Ten – there's some good teams there that maybe you could get in the conversation, but they're playing so few games this year. They're playing an eight-game schedule. You saw today Nebraska and Wisconsin already canceled, and there's no make-up date for it. They don't have uh, space in the schedule to make those up. 
uh, you know, if all these games don't get played and you have six, seven, or even if you get a full schedule, eight games, how are you comparing a team like, say, Michigan, if it has one loss against Ohio State against a team like Notre Dame that could potentially play 11 games and have one loss or 12 games with an ACC championship? Uh, I think Notre Dame looks better in that scenario, too. Pac-12 hasn't had a team in the playoff in the last three seasons anyway. So I, I think they're playing an extremely limited schedule. I think it's only seven games out there. Uh, so I, I just wonder in a season of such inequity that Notre Dame getting through an 11 game schedule, potentially playing a 12th game in the ACC championship, you compare it to a couple of these other leagues that have really abbreviated schedules. It's going to look good to a committee. It's more opportunities to put up some marquee wins, uh, certainly, if they could beat Clemson and split that, that's a marquee win that I don't think a lot of other teams in the country would have. So, yes, I do think it's possible. It would take uh, a lot of things happening, and you probably would need to have a couple of conference champions out there in the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 just not run the table or anything. But, you know, the way the season's gone so far with Oklahoma and a couple losses, a team that's been in the playoffs the last couple years, I do think that's entirely possible. Andy, is this a situation where – you can really underscore what a brand name does for you in the sport of college football. If if it's North Carolina in that situation instead of Notre Dame, do you feel any differently? Probably. And, and I think that you see that in the polls and you see that in the rankings every single week. And they can say it doesn't factor in, but it does. <laughs> I mean, Alabama does get the benefit of the doubt. And even though it, it probably should, just the way it recruits, like – uh, you know, you shouldn't always just go based on how good the recruiting rankings are. You have to look at the results sometimes. I mean, I've seen some of these years where Alabama hasn't beaten anybody all year, and I know they're great, but if you're just going on the results based on the on the field and, like, uh, how many marquee wins do they have, they just don't stack up sometimes, but they do get the benefit of the doubt uh, based on their history. So, yeah, I do, I do think that plays in, and I think a brand name like Notre Dame, as much as the committee would deny it, I think it does play a factor. If you have identical resumes between North Carolina and Notre Dame, I think the benefit of the doubt would go to the Irish. Next one comes, question that is from Liam M. Liam asks, Andy, I know it's only halfway through the season, but do you think there are any coaches that are on the hot seat? Maybe not this year because it's an outlier for everyone. But do you think there are any coaches finishing this season or heading into next season fighting for their job? Yeah, I think this year is going to be rough to find anybody just because who can afford it? I mean, some of these places, I know Virginia Tech is looking at like a $50 million budget shortfall. It would be hard to turn around and fire a coaching, yeah, fire a head coach and pay that buyout and then pay out the assistant coaches. I'm not saying Virginia Tech is looking at doing that. I'm just using that as an example of how difficult financially it's going to be this year to make those kind of moves. And yet, some some schools are doing it. Like some schools, Southern Miss fired his coach after one game. I believe did he get fired or resign? I, I can't remember the official designation on on that uh, that um, he he was forced to there, resign. But, Andy, let's put it that way. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be pricey to do this stuff. So I don't know that anybody is really going to be looking to do that. Uh, but the way this question's asked, you know, next year, who could be uh, some guys on the hot seat or some names that are out there. I'll throw a couple out there and I'll start with this one. He's not going to get fired, but David Cutcliffe has seen Duke go on a little bit of a downslope here. Uh, he's 66 which is getting up there in age. I think next September he'll turn 67. I know Mac Brown down the road is three years older, uh, but Mac Brown sort of seems like a, an outlier in this whole thing and how he keeps churning out good results at that age. But uh, Cutcliffe is obviously uh, sort of a savior to that Duke program. I mean, it was nothing before he got there. He took them to a division championship and made them a, a regular bowl contender. Did not get there last year. Uh, five and seven on the season this year is looking even rougher they're off to a one and five start you wonder if at that age if he you know really feels like sort of trying to get things back going in the right direction it's a lot of work to turn a program like duke around he did it once before uh you know they honestly they should build a statue of him in durham based on the work he did with that football team but uh, you have to wonder at that age if he's uh, decided to kind of fire it up and do it again so I, I don't think duke will make any decision on that i'm just curious how much longer he would like to be coaching uh, uh the blue devils there another one that's interesting to me i think is dino babers 
at Syracuse. Uh, I thought he was the guy that was going to elevate this program a couple years ago. They, they won 10 games in 2018. Uh, you know, they challenged Syracuse a couple times. They beat or challenged Clemson, I should say, a couple times. They beat them one year up there in the Dome. Uh, but other than that one year, this has been a four and five win program. Uh, it's it's kind of back to what it was for a while. And the, and the weirdest thing about this is the offense hasn't been good. Uh, that is Dino Babers' calling card, and that's what, you know, when he got up there, it was going to be up-tempo, and they were going to push the pace, and they were going to just, uh, you know, out-cardio uh, everybody on the field, and that, you know, when it was rolling, it looked really good, and you go, man, this is the future of offense in the ACC, and ever since then, they just haven't been able to find a quarterback and haven't been able to get that offense rolling, and that's been the most perplexing thing to me is that they haven't been able to do that. So year five, uh, they're sort of back to where they were when they started. I think you have to start wondering at Syracuse if Babers is the right guy. And, you know, I look at his history, and he had a great couple stints at Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green, but it was two years at each of those stops, and then he moved on to the next job. You maybe kind of have to wonder about his, his ability to sustain that success over a period of time rather than just winning and then moving on to the next spot. So, um, honestly, I thought he was going to possibly get some looks after that 2018 season if some uh, schools were going to kick the tires on him, see if he might do that. He did not jump. He stayed at Syracuse, and now they're back to, to you know, four and five win seasons. So uh, that's another one where if things don't improve a lot, I think uh, maybe you start looking at his name and go, is this the right fit for Syracuse long term? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, next question, Andy. And there's there's two questions here. I think this is kind of interesting to ask them both at the same time uh, because they both have to do with Dave Clawson and, and a Wake Forest program. One fan, Nicholas M., writes in, should Wake fans and alums worry that with each Tennessee loss and failing by Jeremy Pruitt, the drumbeat gets louder to bring Dave Clawson back to Tennessee as the head coach this time? Or will Wake's deep coffers keep Clawson around a little while more? And I want to read you the next one, too, as well. I think you can, you can hit these both at once. Uh, Gregory C. writes in, As an alum, I'm absolutely not complaining. And remember, when you hear that phrase, that always means the next sentence is going to be a complaint. But how is Dave Clawson still the head coach of the Demon Deacons? Wow, shocker. Uh, part of the answer, I assume, is that Wake Forest has made an appropriate financial commitment to Clawson and his staff. Given that and the fact that they've also committed to upgrading their facilities, what's the ceiling for this program? To answer the first question, I would not worry about Tennessee simply because that would require Tennessee to put together a competent coaching search, which is not something it's been able to do in the last decade. I mean, since Fulmer uh, stepped down, you hire Lane Kiffin, which was a good hire for a moment, but he stayed there a year. So how good can you call that hire? Derek Dooley after that. Obviously not a great hire. Uh, Butch Jones, uh, not, a, or not a good hire there. Uh, and then Jeremy Pruitt thought he got off to a good start and uh, hasn't done so well right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't trust Tennessee to, to get its act together. And if, if they were to be looking for a coach, would look in Dave Clawson's direction because he's been pretty good so far. And he's sort of been, uh, there's obviously a connection there uh, with Tennessee in the past and they haven't hired him before. Uh, I think one thing that, that would another thing to consider about that is Phil Farmer hired him 
in 2008 as his offensive coordinator, and that was a horrible Tennessee offense that year. I actually covered one of those games when I was in Auburn. It was one of the worst offensive games I've ever covered. I think there was a defensive touchdown that ended up being the difference in that game. That was the year that Fulmer had to resign with three games left in the year. So I can't imagine that there's this you know, heavy drumbeat that they want to get the band back together of that uh, ill-fated 2018 that was uh, the end of Phil Fulmer's run there. So yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about Tennessee. Clawson is an interesting coach. He's a very, very good coach, and I don't think he gets the credit that he should at Wake Forest. You look through his years as a head coach here. He takes over Fordham. Uh, 0-11 in the first year. He goes 9-3 and in year five. Uh, moves on to Richmond. 3-8 and in the first year. By the time he leaves a couple years later, that team is set up for an FCS championship the next year by Mike London. I think you can see how Mike London did it at Virginia after that. A lot of the credit there probably goes to Dave Clawson for setting up that roster in a position to succeed. Bowling Green, he's two and eight, two and ten in his second year, ten and three Mac champions in year five. That gets him the Wake Forest job where um, his first year there, they're three and nine in 2014 their offense is nothing they, they were the other half of that six to three double overtime game against virginia tech in 2014 and now this isn't a formidable offense that they have they've got a four straight bowls they're probably going to go to a fifth uh bowl game here at wake forest that is really impressive i mean J- uh, jim grobe went to five bowls in 13 seasons and he's considered one of the best coaches in wake forest history so uh, yeah, this is uh, certainly a Dave Clawson appreciation moment on the on the podcast here. I think a couple things that probably keep him at Wake Forest right now is, is one, he's not just a name that jumps off the page at you. I mean, if you're hiring for SEC schools specifically, you want to get a flashy name. They're always looking for a Mike Leach or a Saban disciple or something like that. I just don't feel like hiring Dave Clawson as good of a coach as he might be, uh, you know, rakes in the donations from people just doesn't excite the fan base even though he's an offensive guy uh at its core uh so i think that's one thing that holds him back i mean wake forest pays him okay for wake forest it's 2.1 million a year they can go higher than that uh they did in the past with jim grobe and i would imagine if the deacons continue this success here that they would uh, you know try to reward the coach with a little bit more money uh, to keep him in place. What is the ceiling there? I, I think that might be the thing that if he decides to go elsewhere, that could be the thing that drives him elsewhere because I, I just, you're going to hit your ceiling pretty easily at a place like Wake Forest. Uh, you know, Jim Grobe had the perfect storm there in the mid 2000s where he had a veteran team. It was sort of a down ACC. They were able to get to that uh, just ugly ACC title game against Georgia Tech. I think 9-6 to six was the final of that game. I'd have to go back and look up the score, but it was a, a bunch of field goals that were kicked in that game in, in pretty sloppy weather. But he won 11 games one year, went to an Orange Bowl, and was ranked. And I think that is about as good as you're going to do at Wake Forest if the stars line up. It's And it's really tough to sustain. He won 20 games over two years, and then sort of the bottom fell out, and it was a real struggle there for a while. Uh, you know what Clawson's doing five straight bowl games probably this year uh, that's very impressive and that's something that they should do to try to keep them there but I think if you're winning eight nine games that's really good at a school like Wake Forest with the resources that they have and the kind of recruits that they can pull in there probably not going to do much better than that unless things are just line up perfectly as I said and especially in a division uh, the division really makes it tough where you've got Clemson and if Florida State is humming, those are two of the top programs in the country. And there was a time where both those programs were really good. And everybody's like, well, can Wake Forest do better than eight wins? It'd be real tough. But I do think Clawson is a good coach. I do think Wake Forest would be well served to keep him there. Uh, I don't think he's going to Tennessee <laughs> to, to answer your question. Next question, Andy, comes from Todd H. Todd's a Georgia Tech fan and states. Andy, Jeff Collins and his staff have really struggled to make any on-the-field progress. Last year was all about the, quote, historic transformation. But now we can't seem to line up properly, and just getting plays in is a challenge. Defensively, we just look 100% lost. Teams used to never look forward to playing us. Now I think teams are licking their chops. When does the steak match the sizzle? Or when does the goodwill run out for Jeff Collins as Georgia Tech head coach? 
Uh, Todd, Todd H. By the way, people, if you want to get your full name or your hometown, make sure to write it on the questions because our form on the, the athletic defaults to a first name, last letter. You know, you like to get your full name out there sometimes. So put that on there uh, next time if you want to make sure. Uh, Todd, I, I got to say, maybe jumping a, a bit ahead on Georgia Tech here. Last year was as much of a year zero as you will get at a program. You're coming out of an option offense for the last decade where – uh, they didn't even have any tight ends last year. I mean, that's not an overnight fix. You have to recruit that. And then even if you recruit it, you got to develop those players over time. Uh, you know, the team went three and nine last year, beat South Florida, Miami somehow. I still don't know how they won that game in NC State. Uh, comes back this year and, and you beat George, or beat Florida State in the opener, which I thought maybe raised everybody's expectations a bit beyond what they should have been. But this is still... Uh, what you can essentially count as year one for Jeff Collins there with the Yellow Jackets. Uh, and that's a tough place to be for a coach, especially as you're still transitioning out of that offense, uh, playing a freshman quarterback who has been good at times, but also looks like a freshman at other times, 55% completion percentage, eight touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That's a line maybe you'd expect out of a true, quarter, true freshman quarterback there. Uh, yeah, I think the defense is a little perplexing how they've played this year. Uh, giving up 6.1 yards per play. It was 5.88 last year. You would expect improvement on that front. Uh, but the offense has shown improvement, almost up a full yard in yards per play. Uh, they've not been good in in turnovers, minus seven on that front. But I, I think that this was going to happen with Georgia Tech. And maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves with that win against Florida State, which, as you can see now, everybody's losing. everybody's beating Florida State. It's except to UNC down in Tallahassee, but that's a team that you can get right against. So uh, I, I think in the big picture, this was a team that last year lost to the Citadel in overtime. And while they've lost four games by 17 points or more this year, you're losing some pretty good teams in some of those. UCF was a very good team. Clemson, I mean, what, what are you going to do against Clemson? I think it was disappointing, obviously, the Syracuse loss. BC, I think, is better than people are giving them credit for. So I, I don't look at that and go, that's just a devastating loss to happen there. But I do think that you're probably still seeing progress, even though it's not coming in the record right now. And maybe it will the rest of the season. You get NC, uh, North Carolina and Miami are still on the schedule, uh, but you also have Pitt, Duke, and NC State, where I think there's opportunities uh, to win games. And if you get better than three wins this year, I, I'd consider that an improvement, especially against this kind of schedule. I mean, you're not playing an FCS team this year. Uh, you're not playing... Uh, a couple other group of five teams at the beginning of the year, other than UCF, one of the, the best uh, group of five teams that are out there. So I would say give it a little more time <laughs> with this one. I, I'm not ready to come down really hard on Jeff Collins. The team I saw last year in, in Atlanta when I covered Virginia Tech down there, it was a total mismatch. It was 45 to nothing. I think the Hokies could have won that one 60 to nothing if they wanted to. Uh, that was a team that I think you know people were licking their chops to go play. I think this year there's a little bit more fight in Georgia Tech, even though it maybe hasn't shown up in the ledger the last couple of weeks. But I do think you give Jeff Collins some time. Uh, he probably gets that defense looking a bit more like the units that he's had in the past. Defense is his specialty. Uh, yeah, I, I think this team will turn it around, but it's still going to be a process right now, and it might be a little bit of growing pains going forward. Next question comes from Chris P., Chris asks, Andy, what is a realistic expectation for Louisville for the last five games? Are they good enough to run the table? We know the answer to that is no, considering, um, Andy, they weren't in your the group of teams in that, that first question we got asked about teams that could potentially run the table, but could Louisville go 4-1 and one to finish the year? You know, I really only consider the top teams that could run the table. Now, here's what Louisville has left. Virginia Tech at home. They're three-and-a-half-point dogs this week at UVA versus Syracuse at BC and versus Wake. Uh, no, I don't think they run the table in that because, uh, as I've said a couple times, I've been a little bit more impressed uh, lately after seeing Wake up close last week. And I think BC is a tough game too. So, uh, And then if you're talking about uh, being a home dog this week against the Hokies, who, you know, I would circle that as an upset-type uh, game. I think Louisville definitely has a chance. I do think uh, they can turn things around here a little bit. But – you know, the way this season started, I think there were such high expectations that if they can win, you know, three of these last couple games, uh, I think that's a satisfying result to the end of the season. It might not have been what everybody had hoped coming in, but 
you look at this offense that they have, and it's an offense that scares you still. Uh, this quarterback, this running back, you know, Cunningham, Hawkins, and Atwell as a quarterback-running back-receiver combination. That is a scary group. Uh, I think you've seen improvement out of the defense the last couple weeks. Gave up 12 points at Notre Dame. Uh, gave up 16 points last week against Florida State. I'm really curious what they do against the Hokies this week because the Hokies were a team that uh, went to Wake Forest last week and just sort of had an offensive outage, just did not play well in the red zone, turned the ball over. So if they can do that uh, against Virginia Tech this week, I think that's that defense has improved vastly from what it was last year and, and certainly earlier this season. So uh, can they run the table? No, I don't think it happens, but I, I think – you know, with the right changes there, four and one is is possible. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. Uh, and I think if you're Scott Satterfield, after the the way that you had that streak earlier this year, uh, where things kind of got away from you, uh, especially on the defensive side, if you can turn that around and finish it like that, that's that's a lot of. I don't want to say momentum because I don't really think that it lasts going from one season to the next, but it makes this team feel a lot better heading into the off season than uh, you know being four and seven or something like that. This next question, Andy, gives me some anxiety. Anytime we start talking about tiebreakers and you've got a list of six things here that could potentially break the tie between Miami and Notre Dame to reach the ACC championship game. Are we really going to go through all six of these? <laughs> I just put them on there so I could remember what they were, just so I could get to the last one and say how ridiculous it is if it gets that far. Yeah, uh, but that, that's the question from CD, uh, and I'm tongue-in-cheek, of course, uh, because these are the type of things that fans need to know, uh, but the conferences don't make them easy, that's for sure. Um, what is the tiebreaker for the ACC championship? Um, if the answer is head-to-head record, which, by the way, that is correct, number one, um, what is the second tiebreaker? Can Miami jump Notre Dame? Uh, yes is the answer. Miami could jump Notre Dame. Uh, it's really weird this year because not everybody's going to play each other, obviously. Uh, you don't have the division set up where it's just, you know, the winner of the division goes on. They play in the title games, the top two teams. So you could have a situation where, you know, a couple teams are tied up there that haven't played each other. Uh, so once it gets past that head-to-head, it goes to head-to-head competition versus the team with the best overall win percentage and proceeding through the conference. So I believe that means that you would, uh, you know, it, assuming Clemson wins, have either of these teams beat Clemson. If they're in a tie, I would imagine they have not. Uh, and then it would proceed down to who the next best team in the conference would be. So maybe North Carolina in that situation. There's going to be a lot of variables that still have to play out with this. But Miami plays North Carolina and Notre Dame does this year, so potentially that could break the tiebreaker. Uh, maybe Virginia Tech or Boston College are in there as well. It's going to depend on, on how those standings go. But I put all the, the list of stuff on here because I thought it was interesting. The sixth tiebreaker on this is the representative shall be chosen by a draw as administered by the commissioner or commissioner's designee. They better hope that it does not get to point number six on this. Can you can you imagine, like what, you draw a name out of a hat? Like <laughs> the conspiracy theories that would exist, they would have to televise this and people would dissect it like the Zapruder film, like finding the one way that the commissioner was trying to get a certain matchup. And, oh, you know, they froze the ping pong ball that had Notre Dame on it. and They wanted to get them in the championship game instead of Miami or something like that. I, I would uh, I, it won't get that far. I just can't even imagine a scenario where it gets that far, but I would love to see it because that would, I mean, they could televise that on the ACC network. Everybody would be watching it. They could have a big, big uh, pre-draw show to lead up to it. If they get that far, I think they should fully lean into it. Like it's a, a wrestling show or something like that and, and just play it up because that would be great theater to get that far. Uh, I'm looking at number five too. And I'm just like, Team rating score metric provided by Sports Source Analytics. Like, what the heck is that? <laughs> what are the odds that they like? Like, I know they have to like go all the way to number six just in case. But what are the odds that that team rating score would be exactly the same for two teams? I, I just, it's never going to get that far. I just find it hilarious that they go that far down the list that uh, they have to plan out every single scenario. It'd be funny if the sixth one or the last one was just like a uh, coin flip. They just flip a coin. This might sound crazy, but honestly, if I was an ACC fan and I had a a team that was tied heading into the ACC championship game and needed to figure out a tiebreaker, I would rather not go because I lost a coin toss 
than because I lost the team rating score metric provided by Sports Source Analytics. Yeah, if you're gonna do that, go S and P plus at the very least. That's a much. I don't. I don't know which one is the best, but yeah, if it gets to the computer rankings, then of course, oh, the rankings are biased there, and this computer doesn't. This one considers us better than the other one. I'm sure there'd be all sorts of arguments about which one is the best one that they could use. Next question comes in from Karen R. Who has the best running backs in the ACC? Is it North Carolina's gruesome twosome of Carter and Williams? Is that what we're calling them, the gruesome twosome? I, I Googled that after I got this question. I've seen it on like a couple of different blog posts, but I don't know if that's like an official uh, name for the two. And I guess that works around Halloween, but after Halloween's over, you're kind of like, why are you calling them gruesome, this twosome out there? Uh, I feel like we can do better than that for a nickname, can't we? Uh, I remember back in the day at Virginia Tech when they had Kevin Jones and Lee Suggs, they called them the untouchables. And that was like a, a fan vote that was out there, which was, it was fine, like whatever. But Jones, Suggs, and Harmony was sitting right there. They could have gone that route. That would have been the greatest nickname for a running back duo, and they chose not to do that. So uh, I don't know what we can do with Carter and Williams. Those are pretty basic names. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll call them the gruesome twosome. Those two are incredible. Uh, I saw them run. Uh, they didn't have all 400 of the yards that UNC ran for against Virginia Tech, but they had a good chunk of them. Uh, and these are a couple guys that are looking like NFL backs this year. Carter has 584 yards, three touchdowns. Williams, 562 yards and 10 touchdowns. Uh, you know, you always hear about the Tar Heels passing offense. No, Sam Howell and these receivers and stuff, but their their running game is just so effective. And I think that makes the passing game all the more effective because there's just no break for this defense. Uh, you, you can't focus on one side of it. Uh, you know, Focus on the run because then the pass will beat you. Focus on the pass, the run will beat you. And it, it's not even like you get a break when one of these guys comes out because the other one comes in and you don't lose anything. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's head and shoulders, the best running back group in the ACC. I, I look at a couple others. I mean, Travis Etienne, I think, is the best back in the league overall at Clemson, but Beyond that, it's a little shaky. I think you saw that the other day when he had to leave uh, for a little bit. Uh, didn't come back until later in the game, and, and Clemson is going, what do we do with the running game? There's just not guys that are eating up chunks of yardage uh, like ETN does. Uh, Notre Dame's duo, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, I think they're pretty good. Uh, pretty young still, Tyree being a true freshman. I think give him a couple years, uh, that could be a pretty formidable duo there. Mention uh, Khalil Herbert, Raheem Blackshear at Virginia Tech. I can't believe I'm mentioning the Hokies in this because the running game has been so bad the last couple of years. But Herbert has been outstanding this year, and Blackshear was the guy that they were talking up uh, so much in the preseason. He hasn't quite gotten rolling yet. You know, a little bit of a hamstring issue earlier this year. Uh, but I think when both those guys are at the top of their games, that is a very good duo of running backs as well. And I'll throw out a sleeper pairing here. Uh, again, just saw him last week. Kenneth Walker the third and Christian Beale Smith at Wake Forest. Uh, Walker, sixth in the, the ACC in yards per game, has 449 yards and eight touchdowns. Beale Smith has 385 yards this year and four touchdowns. Uh, you expect, uh, you know, Clemson and Notre Dame and those types of teams to have a really good running game. But I think Wake Forest kind of sneaks up on you, and those guys have been especially effective. So those are a couple out there. But, yeah, I don't think anybody beats the uh, the gruesome twosome of Carter and Williams. I don't, come on, you. let's put that to a vote out there, UNC. See if you can come up with a better nickname uh, than that for those two because th- those two are outstanding backs, and, and they deserve it. Next question comes from David C. David asks, Andy, why did three of four ranked ACC teams drop this week in the polls after wins? That's a good question. Because the Big Ten is back. Uh, it's simple as that. You know, Notre Dame, they, they kind of felt inflated last week with a number three ranking. I think everybody kind of knew in the back of their mind that Ohio State is better. And then Ohio State goes out there and pounds Nebraska once it finally plays the game. And that gave the voters justification to go, okay, Ohio State three, Notre Dame four. Uh, that just seems like an obvious uh, ranking order right there. Miami just wasn't 
that impressive in a win, so they might have dropped anyway. But you know, Wisconsin goes out and, and crushes Illinois with uh, Graham Mertz as their quarterback, and now everything's shut down with the Badgers. Mertz uh, with a, a positive COVID nineteen uh, diagnosis there, and then a bunch within the team. So they're going to have to shut things down there. I'm, I'm curious how long Wisconsin can hold that spot just off the basis of an Illinois win. But you know, that's that's the reason why Miami drops, and then you know, UNC dropped a spot. Uh, because Michigan looked pretty darn impressive in, in beating up on Minnesota, another ranked team. So the Wolverines jumped up five spots, and UNC in the shuffling went down one spot. So I think it's just the rankings normalizing, and it was going to be a weird season, and something like that was going to happen. But, uh, yeah, I, I think as more of these teams come back and the Pac-12 comes back in a couple of weeks here that uh, you might see some more weird things like that in the rankings. Okay, Andy, Wesley S., Writes in, after a loss this week for Virginia Tech, what's the outlook for the rest of the season? That is a tough one. Uh, I am not sure. I've been a little bit higher on the Hokies than I think a lot of people have just because I thought this offense was going to be one that was really going to be something to deal with. And as soon as I go out and they make that definitive statement, they go out and lay an egg last week at Wake Forest. And they still move the ball. I mean, in the past, when Virginia Tech laid an egg, it meant like 100 yards of offense. Uh, so they went out there and they still had you know 420 or whatever it was they still ran for over 200 but they turned it over which was uncharacteristic they weren't good in the red zone which was uncharacteristic and their receivers didn't really make any plays and that makes you wonder you know if this defense is still finding its footing with the first year defensive coordinator on that side and the offense can't you know score consistently like that are they gonna have trouble in some of these games and I, I think it's possible uh, that's why I think this week at Louisville will be so critical. I mean, this is a game they have to win uh, to get back on track because the schedule does not get easier after this. Uh, you know, they play a suddenly good Liberty team. Uh, they host Miami. They go to Pitt, which Pitt has not been good, but you know that's sort of a house of horrors for the Hokies going up to Heinz Field. Host Clemson and UVA to close the season. I mean, it could get uh, pretty tough there if they don't right the ship here. So I, I think it's it's a very key week here for the Hokies to see how they respond. And they have responded well under Justin Fuente when they've lost games like this. They, they you know they have these games that kind of come out of nowhere where they disappoint. But typically, they have responded pretty well the following week. So if I see that this week, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable about the Hokies. Uh, they are 0-2 on the road, or 1-2, I should say, on the road this year. They did win at Duke, but it was a little bit of a struggle. So you know, maybe that factors into it. But uh, I think this is still a good team. I still think the offense is pretty solid if they're not turning the ball over. I think the defense can do enough. I just wonder against a team like Louisville that's so explosive offensively and it seemed to find some things against Florida State if this might be a tough one for them. And if that happens and they're 3-3, three and three, all of a sudden, you know, the season looks like it could be slipping away a little bit. But uh, this one, this week will be a very important one, I think, for Virginia Tech. Okay, the last question comes from Davis H. And it's about Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi. His current contract goes until 2024, and some fans feel that the school needs to cut loose now and find someone with a higher potential. Do you feel Narduzzi has already reached his peak? Will he play out the rest of his contract, or will Pitt cut ties after this or next season? I don't think they cut ties after this season uh, for the same reason I mentioned before. I don't know about down the line. I mean, what, what is Pitt expecting? Uh, you know, This is a team that has not – really been uh, too consistently good over time. I mean, the last time they won 10 games was Dave Wonstadt was there back in 2009. Uh, before that, the last time they won games was 1981. So it's not like this is a program that's been hitting on all cylinders and, you know, 10 wins every year. It feels like Narduzzi has this team sort of built in his mold now. I mean, it's a defensive-minded team. It's I don't want to say no-name defense like it was at Michigan State, but, you know, it's not household names across the, the, the defense there. You know, some linemen that maybe stand out a little bit, but it's just a very solid defense. You know, lately it has not been. Uh, but, you know, overall I think that's still a, a very a strong defense that you have to deal with. His problem seems to have been finding the offense lately. And since they had Matt Canada in that, that one really good year, they've sort of been in the woods offensively. You know, Sean Watson, Mark Whipple coming in as an offensive coordinator – it just doesn't seem like an offense that scares you too much or that can complement that defense. Could that be his downfall there? Potentially. I mean, that's tripped up plenty of a defensive-minded head coach in the past. But I just I compare this to what Pitt was like before. Uh, you know, post-Wanstat, they were sort of in that coaching carousel where – 
uh, you know, Michael Haywood was the coach for like two weeks and then gets fired after a domestic abuse uh, charge was, was pressed against him. Todd Graham comes in for a year, Paul Christ for a couple years and leaves. Narduzzi has come in and he wants to be at Pitt, it looks like. He wants to stay there. I think that should count for something. Uh, so you're not sort of mixing things up every year because I think that was problematic and, and a setback for the program a while ago. Uh, this year has been a little bit tough because they've had the quarterback injury. I'm, I'm curious what it would have been like with Kenny Pickett. I'm not as high on on Pat as some of the other people that have been out there. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people really were pounding the pavement for Pitt to happen. Uh, you know, stop trying to make fetch happen. Stop trying to make Pitt happen here, sports writers. Yes, I made a Mean Girls reference. I don't apologize for it. But uh, Narduzzi. I, I think he's a pretty good coach. I don't know if he's going to get over the hump, but I, I just sometimes I wonder what do you expect at Pitt? Is it going to be, uh, are you going to go and win a, a national title there? Probably not. Uh, he has won a division title there before. I know it was a weird year in the ACC, but if you do that every now and then, and you, you know you go to a pretty good bowl game every now and then, which you know Pitt doesn't seem to do, they always seem to end up in Birmingham somehow. Uh, yeah, I think you can feel okay with the program, but I, I would understand right now with the losing streak that Pitts had why uh, Panthers fans are a little bit down. That was the last question, Andy, and, and remember, if you if you want to ask questions, all you have to do is sign up for The Athletic, and right now is the week to do it. Get in the door. Our $1 offer ends this week, www.theathletic.com slash pod, and that's your sign-up code for $1 a month. All right. That's all we got for this show. Thank you to John Hayes for stepping in. Uh, my excellent producer makes me sound good. He's got a voice for podcasts. I wish I had his voice for podcasts. It's got a, a nice tone to it. So maybe I'll need to, to work on that a little bit here. But well, Andy, that means you got to listen to our Friday episode of Football and Grits if you want SEC winners. I mean, that's where you can hear me. Well, there you go. Nice crossover uh, promotion here for the SEC. Had to get an SEC mentioned in. Like I mentioned, he's an SEC homer. We forgive him for that. We thank him for coming on our ACC podcast here. Uh, That's going to do it for us this week. Remember, go rate, review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Recommend the podcast to a friend. Uh, You know, if you're not a subscriber, subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free there. Uh, You go to theathletic.com slash pod. We have great deals all the time on signing up. Uh, Check them out right now. I'll be at a game this week, Virginia Tech at Louisville. Uh, Next week is the game of the ACC, Clemson at Notre Dame. We'll have plenty of content here on Atlantic and Coastal. We'll talk about that then. Until then, we'll talk to you next week.